The following audio is from The House in Rogers, Arkansas. More information about The House Church can be found at www.welcometothehouse.com. Well, it was around the 19th century that churches began to celebrate the birth of Christ collectively as an event, as a holiday. Many Orthodox churches um, actually celebrated the birth of Christ in the first weekend of January. Um, but then they started to, to change it, and now we collectively celebrate it on the 25th, December the 25th. Regardless of how or when uh, you've studied and you know Jesus was born in May or, you know, all of that, we can collectively come together and realize that this is an important part of this holiday, this season, is understanding the birth of our Savior who is the hope of the world, and the birth of Jesus was no small event. It was a promise made and kept by the Father. And, and, and as we're talking about our second part of the hope of Christmas, I, I don't know about you, but there's something about keeping a promise. I don't know if you have a list of liars, and they're like the closest people to you, but I don't know, but I just feel like people who actually tell the truth commit to something and are there on time come on we, many of us work in business and it's and it's like oh yeah i'll be there at six and you're there and people don't show it's like did you know that 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 was a lie and they're like oh no it wasn't a lie it was my car like my, my car had issues so i couldn't make it by oh Okay, and I don't know, but it's like you can see it in our political scene. It's like it's very hard to nail down someone who lied. I don't know if you, and so now truth is very subjective. It's whatever you feel, whatever I feel, and so it's not a lie. It's just your perspective versus my perspective, and so there is no lie. There is no moral absolutes. It doesn't really matter. You can look at even our political scene. It's amazing. Either the economy is better or it's not, but it can't be both. You know, and so one part of the group says, oh, no, it's terrible. The other part, oh, no, it's the best it's ever been. Well, I don't know, but I know it can't be both. Okay, either we're safer now or we're not. You know what I mean? One side, oh, no, we're incredibly safe. It's great. You can walk across the street. Yeah, it's awesome. Other side, oh, yeah, so you're going to get bombed any day. Okay, well, I don't know what it is. But I can tell you it's either one or it's the other. But it can't be both. Well, Russia hacked our email. No, they didn't. Okay, so either they did or they didn't. But it can't, you understand, it cannot be both. And so we live in this world where it's like, ah, I say whatever gets me to the end. The ends justify the means But really, it's something about a promise. And when you find someone who keeps a promise, it validates the character of the person who made it. It's amazing how easily we dismiss a lie. You know, in our culture, it's hard to identify someone who lies. But it's important for us to know that keeping our word is still important. Come on. Keeping our word is still important. We still need to train our family, our kids, to keep their word. That's still important. If I say I'm going to be there, then I show up and I'm going to be there. Because here's the deal. Excuses are like belly buttons. Come on, you know it. Everybody has one. And so as we're talking about this, you're like, okay, I thought we were talking about Christmas. 
But we are. Because I'm not my goal is not to feud some political debate, but I'm trying to contrast the power of a promise and the deception of a lie. Because in Numbers 23, verse 19 and 20, it says this God is not a man that he should lie nor the Son of Man that he should repent. In other words, you need to know that God has never said a lie, and God has never had to repent. God's never blown it. God's never messed up. In other words, it's not that God doesn't lie, it's that God can't lie. So if God says, hey, there's a three-headed dog with seven legs, you're about to see a three-headed dog with seven legs. It's not that God doesn't lie because he's moral. It's that he can't lie because truth is in him. Does this make sense? And that he's never had to repent. He's never had to blow it. He's never blown it. Everything that he does, he does because he loves us. So has he said, has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and he won't make good on it? Behold, I receive a command to bless, and he is blessed, and I cannot reverse it. God has a way that he governs life, the world, us, and God keeps his promises. Come on, somebody. The base of our hope is found in the way that God keeps his promises even in the past. As we're talking about the birth of Jesus, the, birth, the story doesn't start when Jesus was born. Oh, here, baby Jesus. Oh, it's cute. It's a manger. He's so cuddly. The story starts in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That's where the story really begins. To fully understand the importance of the power of Jesus, we have to be mindful of the tragic moment that happened after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and rebelled against God. It was then that man moved from a spirit-led life to a self-led life. The reality is this, as we look through this, Paradise was violated by the entrance of sin and Satan had lied and God's plan had been attacked. And because our first parents had fallen short from innocence, now sin spreads across the earth, staining everything that it touches. See, if you miss why Jesus came, and you don't know the background. See, everybody's got a background. Why you do what you do. Why you say what you say. Why, why you, yeah, I have a little, I don't know if you've recognized, but I have a little, uh, uh, people would say, ghetto. I have a little, in my speech, the way I talk, I have a, you're like, you've been places. I remember one time I spoke in Kansas City. I spoke in Kansas City, and this guy was studying um, dialect, and he was studying, he, went, he was going to school, he was getting his doctorate in how people speeched and framed together sentences, and he came up after I got done speaking, and he goes, wow! I mean, he was super intense, super, you know, people have proximity issues, he was that guy, you know what I'm saying, he steps in, you back up, he steps in, you back up, you know what I'm saying, and so if I ever back up from you, it's, it's not that I don't love you. It's like you in, the, you in my space. <laughs> we can hug. We can love in you out. But don't be breath mint. Okay, so, so anyway, he comes up to me, and he's like, wow, where have you been? And I was like, I've been preaching. 
He was like, no, 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 your dialect. It's like it's uh. He started listening to cities and states, and I, I see a little bit of this and of that. And it's like you, you have a really interesting tone. Okay, people got saved. God moved powerfully. He's talking about my tone. He's like, your words, the way you put things together, it's like city, country, ghetto, slang. It's weird. I've never heard anybody like you. Thank you. You know, and, and as, as we're, we're talking about this, the, everybody has a past. And if we don't understand the past of people, then we don't always understand why they act the way they do. You need to understand God and why he sent Jesus because Jesus was not to be a cute sediment on a Christmas card, but it was the hope of the world that was going to bring us back into relationship with God. Does this this make sense? It it was huge. It's huge. Paradise was violated. Listen, and, and, and because sin now was running rampant, the question is, what is God going to do? How would he heal the great divide now between mankind and God? And the answer is Jesus. He sent Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and 25, let's look at this. There are two major accounts of the birth of Jesus. One is in Matthew, and this is from Joseph's perspective, and the other one is in Luke, and that's really from Mary's perspective. But let's look at this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before they came, so there were no whoopee, you know what I'm saying, before they came together, she found, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save, come on somebody, his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken through the Lord, by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, which his name shall be called Emmanuel, which translated God with us. So it's not anymore. See, all Old Testament, it was that we did right. And if we did wrong, you were going to be punished. There was this idea of piety pays, perversity punishes. And they believed in the Old Testament that if you jacked around with God, lightning bolts were coming for you, son. I mean, it was, like, it was a deal. And so they had to live by the law. They had to live perfect, spotless, blameless. There there had to be priests that went in and, and sacrificed animals in order to keep a relationship with God and man. But it was all separate. There was the tabernacle. 
There were, you had to go and go to a place and meet with God. And many individuals, couldn't, normal people, couldn't go and meet with God. They had to have someone go and meet with God for them. So you understand, I'm trying to put you in perspective, God with you. Does that make sense? It's like, it's not that, hey, we voted for a president, whoever it was, but now they're coming to your house. Okay, whoever you vote, they're coming to your house. They're with you. They're, you don't have to go. It's not distant. They're right here. God with us. Then Joseph being um, aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took his wife, and he did not know her until they brought forth the child, the firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now let's walk through this a little bit. Because if you haven't heard this story before, uh, that's the immaculate conception. I can only imagine what Joseph was saying. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, this didn't happen all the time. And so I would have to believe that Joseph was, so, okay, so you, okay, so you want me to believe God did it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but I love the fact that God confirms to Joseph and can I tell you that there's a couple things that I see in this is that God doesn't want to confirm everything through your pastor. God wants to teach you and reveal himself to you. And my goal for us as a house is that our men would lead, our women would lead, that you would invest and know God personally and then I could come and teach and bring to life what you've already been studying. You know what I'm saying? That I could validate what God is teaching you through the word and together we can all grow. Mama bird, baby bird don't always work. You know, where I spend time, I pray, I read, I study, and I give it to you and then you go. Here's the thing. That's fine for a season. If you're lost and you don't know the Lord and it's been a little while, I understand all that. And I'm not saying that that's bad. But the reality is, if you truly want to grow and you truly want to be free, the Holy Spirit speaking to you is always more powerful one-on-one. It's always more powerful one-on-one because I don't know all your issues, but you do. And so when you get in there and read the word, and you're like, oh, 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 that's me. Oh, okay, oh, ooh, ooh. It's a, it's a whole lot better when God's dealing with you personally rather than corporately. Now, as we look at this, there's a couple things that I think are interesting, and I want to talk about four ways that Jesus is the promise that heals Four ways that Jesus is the promise that heals. First of all, as we look through this text, we see that Jesus' birth validated that God had the power to see supernatural results. That, that right on the very beginning, that God can do something supernatural. Now, I know that we have two camps, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about healing. But as we talk about this, supernatural means not natural. So if it was natural, it would be every day, all the time, anywhere, all all the time. Supernatural is not natural. And so a lot of people want to pray away every problem, but we see in James that the Bible says, count it all joy whenever you face trials of many kind. And so if we're not careful in our immaturity, we will want to pray away every trial that builds our character. 
You know, when my son acts wrong or my daughter acts wrong and I'm about to go administer punishment, he don't need to be praying, God, heal me. God, heal thy buns. God, fortify them like a stony wall. God, if you love me, God, if you love me, you will harden the bottom part of my gluteus maximus. And so if we're not careful, there is a supernatural component. And we can't teach a dead gospel. We can't teach a gospel where all that's passed away. It doesn't matter. Oh, sorry. Uh, you got a life-threatening disease? <laughs> right, Will? There's no hope for you. Are your kids on drugs? <laughs> no hope for you. Send them a podcast. The whole concept of Jesus coming was hope. Was hope that, you know what, we can turn it around. I don't have to be a Jew and I don't have to be from the line of David in order to connect with God. God wants to come to me and have a relationship with me. So there is a portion of healing. There is where I can believe God for supernatural results. But I also have to manage my life well. Oh God, heal me. Cholesterol's a little high. Now, I ain't stopping those cheeseburgers, hallelujah. <laughs> but I need a touch. You know what I'm saying? No, the Spirit of God says you need to diet. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so it's very hard for us to get the balance of because we have people who legitimately prayed for something to happen and it didn't happen. And I know parents, people had adversity, loss of children. Things that are very real. And if we're not careful, it'll skew us. But you need to understand something. That just because we didn't get every whim met does not mean that God does not heal. And we cannot be a life-giving church if we see that that part of life doesn't exist. We believe in faith. We believe that God wants to heal. We believe that God is a restorer. But you know what? Sometimes we have to walk through some stuff. And it's not fun. And it's not fair. But in the end, you will reap a great reward. Does this make sense? The reality is this. Jesus had the ability and we saw it. He healed physically, supernaturally. And one day, you know what? This struggle that we are going with, you know, there are things I have, and I've, I've talked to you guys about this earlier on, but my whole life I've been struggling with reading and dyslexia and ADD and ADHD and hyperactivity and all of these things. I remember being in school. I, and and I, I remember I was supposed to be in the sixth grade and they put me back in the fourth grade. You know I mean? I'm talking about, I'd, I already didn't have a relationship with my dad. I already had asthma. I was already the kid that, you know, I, that I, I, I didn't win pretty much at anything. And now I'm like, all my friends, I'm moving back two grades. And they're like, hey, you stupid? And, and having to deal with that and not be in church, God made me smart. Made me like my sister. God, I don't have to be a 4.0, just make me a 3.7. <laughs> and, and I remember that was a constant prayer of mine. But I didn't, listen, I didn't know then what I needed for today. 
And so even though I wanted that gone and even though I want to be here and even though I got made fun of and even though I had to be pulled out and back then they weren't as, you know, conscious about self-esteem as they are now. You know, now everybody gets a trophy. Back then they were like, all right, all the dumb kids, y'all leave the class. Go to remedial class. You know what I'm saying? They're going to teach y'all how to read. And the kids are like, you don't know how to read. You know, I mean, it, it was totally different back then. I was on Ritalin. I had to take my medicine. I had teachers from the state, hey, Stephen, you're getting a little wild. Did you take your medicine? It's <laughs> cool. Yes. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I came through in the 80s. We were hard back then. Listen, the, I, I say all that to say that now, back then, my focus was scattered. I was overly creative. I, I dreamed I was always in worlds and never in reality. You know what I'm saying? But now, because that struggle did not go away, it caused me to press in. And eventually I graduated college with a 3-7. I wrote two books. I, 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 I now have the energy and stamina that people are like, bro, you act like, 30. And, and I'm like 41. You know what I'm saying? People were like black balloons. I was like, no, make them, make them, you know, red and green and sparkly. You know, the reality is I can manage a lot of things and not lose the plate. And, and what I'm saying to you is this is an example to what if the thing that God has you working on wasn't to kill you, but it was to make you. It wasn't to kill you, it was to make you. Listen, God heals. James chapter 5, verse 14. James chapter 5, verse 14 says this. If anyone is sick among you, you should call the church elders and they will pray over them and anoint them with oil in the Lord's name. And that prayer of faith will save him who is sick and the Lord will restore him. If he has committed any sin, he will be forgiven. We cannot pick and choose what we believe even if it's based on our background of theology. The reality is, Matthew chapter 8 verse 17 says this, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. We have freedom in Christ. And that's why you have it, we have it on the wall is that we need, everybody needs forgiveness, but everybody needs freedom, freedom from past and, and issues and relationships and, and struggles. And, and we need to focus on not our ailment, not the issue, not the hardship, but we need to focus on the King of Kings. Come on, somebody, the Lord of Lords. That's what we focus on. The second thing is this, Jesus' entrance into the world was God's sign that Satan wouldn't win. Come on, I love being on a winning team. I had a really hard time. I know y'all prayed for me last Sunday. Okay? Last Sunday was a dark time in the Sexton home. My children were not allowed to talk to me for a while because the Cowboys were 11-1 and one and now we're 11-2. and two. And we got beat by a team that had beat us before and I prayed. I prayed 
God, I don't want any severe injuries, but, you know, jam some toes, God. Jam some toes. <laughs> Listen, I love being on a winning team. And where Adam and Eve fumbled the ball, Jesus intercepted it and gave it back to us so that we could score, so that we could win, so that we could live victorious. Come on. In your life, Satan is going to come against you. Don't think that a strange thing. People tell me all the time, well, since I got saved, it's been really hard. Yeah, because now you're on the defense, baby. You know what I'm saying? You used, to be, you used to be on his team, and now you're playing against him, and it does get a little harder. But guess what? You begin to get stronger. You begin to get stronger. And this baby that was born isn't just a cute infant, but it changes the world. It changes the world. Every time you see a Christmas tree, it's an evergreen tree. In other words, it's just another reminder that it never dies. It just stays green. It just stays green. You know, I mean, obviously, yeah, some of you are like technical, like, well, okay, I, the needles fall to the ground. You know, <laughs> but you can cut it and it'll stay green for a long time. When you see an evergreen tree, my God wins. When you see a present, it's, it, yes, it's a present, but it's more than that. There's been a gift given to you so that you can win. Every time you hear a Christmas carol, it's a song that you know what? You're not alone. You're, you're not alone. And if it's away in a manger, if it's whatever, I mean, obviously, if it's Mariah Carey uh, song, that may be a different thing for you. But, uh, but uh, the reality is there are all of these signs in Christmas that communicate that you are special, valued, loved, and God wants you to meet Jesus, the promise that heals. Because that's what he does. The third thing that we see is this. Jesus' presence proves that God was serious about restoring the broken. God is serious about restoring the broken. It's not just like, you know when people say, I'm praying for you, and you're like, you didn't pray. Come on, have you ever thought about that? People send you something or like, hey, what's up? Or, oh yeah, I'll be praying for you. And you walk off and you think, okay. Are you really going to pray for me? Are you going to say you're praying for me? And when you said you were praying for me, that was like you were praying for me, but you never really prayed for me. But it's cool either way. I felt better. You know what I mean? Listen, God was serious about restoring the broken. We talked last Sunday about Jesus being the light that saves. Listen, who were the people that came to his birth? Shepherds. He was born in humble means with humble parents. His parents weren't CEOs. Not that that's bad, but the reality is it was just humble. As he grew, he was always reaching out to the weak, the fatherless, the orphans, the widows, the lonely. And it wasn't based on someone's tax bracket because there were people who had means. There were physicians and tax collectors following him, but they were also broken. And the reality is this. When people came into the presence of Jesus, what was broken started to be restored. When you see the birth of this child, it's not just some cute little, little, little baby. It, it's the hope that your whole life can change. The last thing is this. 
Jesus' life gathered those who were both spiritually dead and culturally rejected. Now let's talk about that. Spiritually dead and culturally rejected. A lot of the conflict that Jesus had, you know, it was the religious people, the religious people who came. He would challenge the Pharisees, engage the Gentile. He would show love to everyone, but teach and train those who followed him. And see, there's a difference. If we're not careful, there is a difference between showing up to his meeting and following him. See, the crowd received the fish sandwich. But they never learned how to battle the enemy. And, and a lot of people go to church and all they're looking for is the fish, fish sandwich. All I need is just a little bit to get me through. All I need is a little hope to get me through this hard time. All I need to do is help me get through the death of my parent or the death of a loved one. All I need to do, I don't really want to learn how to battle the enemy. I just want to be fed in the moment. See, I don't, I don't really want to be a follower because if I'm a follower, then I got to leave some things. I got to change some things. I got to do something different. I want to show up and see the miraculous, but I don't ever want to fight the enemy on my own. See, church, the hope of Christmas is Jesus. It's Jesus. You know, Jesus' life wasn't just for one group of people. He would, there were times when he would talk to a prostitute. There were times when he talked to someone who, who was in a, a different cultural culture than they were. And, and, and in this dialogue, this girl says, why are you even talking to me? See, that's why we want a multicultural, multi-generational church. I love it. I can't wait. I'm praying in more diversity. I'm praying in more people because I, I like having fun. I like laughing. I, li I, I, li I like to see that because that's what Jesus did. Culturally rejected. Who are the people that feel like they're not good enough to come to church? Well, guess what? If you feel like you're not good enough to come to church, you ain't never coming. So does that mean that we have to deal with some stuff every now and then? Yeah. Does that mean we got to teach and train them? Yeah. Because the goal isn't for them to be like us. The goal is for them to be like Him. Because the reality is, when you're young, when you're old, come on, it's easy to be distracted and there's so many things out there that can buy for your attention. But the older you get, the more you realize that all of those things are empty. Come on, Netflix is empty. It's empty. When you're done with that movie, you're still lonely. Come on, unraise is empty. Because as soon as you buy that new car, someone ding it. Gum heathens. Don't give your life to empty things. Don't give your life to empty things. Don't show up for a fish sandwich. Come in, learn, grow, know how to beat the enemy in your life. That's my hope for you.
Today, the hope of Christmas is Jesus. And the topic of what we've been talking about is Jesus, the promise healer. The promise that heals. And that's who he is. Thanks for listening. To see what's happening at the house, follow us on social media at the house underscore NWA.